Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly. From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. This week, we're exploring songs we love by artists we can't stand. You know, it can be rare, but every once in a while, Greg and I fall for a track that we dig by an artist we don't. Check this out, baby. Tenemos tremendo lío. Then we'll review the latest from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, and we'll bid farewell to drummer Ginger Baker and the Muffs frontwoman, Kim Shatter. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and uh, later in the show we're going to review the new record from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds called Ghosting, and we're also going to memorialize drummer and Cream co-founder Ginger Baker and the Muffs singer Kim Shattuck. But first, we're going to share some songs we love by bands we really don't love. This was a fun idea, Greg, that our producer <laughs> Alex had. Uh, you know, and we were calling it shorthand, Songs We Love by Bands We Hate. I don't, I don't personally hate anybody. There's music <laughs> I choose not oh, come to on. ever listen to. Um, you know, well, very few people in the music world, anyway, uh, on the musician side, not on the industry side. But it's a great idea, right? Uh, I would never listen to a full album, a full stream by this band, but I, I love this song. I think that's the key, Jim. Um, you know, it's not so much that the band is just, you know, they, they need to be consigned to hell, although I, I might make a couple of exceptions uh, for few. that. I've seen your list, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this band in particular, I never really particularly hated this band. I just was it, totally indifferent to them. Uh, I'm talking about the cult. Oh, uh, a little bit metal, a little bit hard rock, a little bit goth, a whole lot of cheese. Uh, not a band I would ever listen to voluntarily. But there is one song in their rather long career uh, that I really love. Um, She Sells Sanctuary from their uh, 1985 album called Love. Uh, You know, I heard this song in the context of uh, going to clubs like Exit in Berlin in Chicago. And, you know, they'd be playing set, you know, the DJ sets would be like uh, Love and Rockets and You Order. And this song would sort of be right in that pocket. And I remember distinctly saying to somebody... Uh, you know, I really hate this band, but this is a really good song. You know, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. and I still feel the same way about it. You know, decades later, um, Ian Asbury isn't much of a lyricist. Uh, the, the, <laughs> l- l- the lyrics are all about, and the world turns around. Really, Ian? Thank you. Uh, yeah. This guy is profound. But the guitar by Billy Duffy on this song, that from the introduction with the effects pedals and into that driving propulsive sound over that really uh, cool, almost danceable groove that Nigel Preston sets up on drums uh, made this kind of a crossover track in terms of it not only hit hit the hard rock crowd, but it, it did get played in clubs, as I'd mentioned. Uh, lo and behold, the guy who really holds this song together, Nigel Preston, the drummer that I just mentioned, got fired right after this song was recorded. So that tells you a little bit about the cult's mm. uh, taste in drummers. Well, um, that and the fact that Asbury wound up being like the uh, Morrison stand-in, the Jim Morrison stand-in yeah. for the Doors reunion. Well, that, you know, that's exactly where they're coming from. As I said, a whole lot of cheese, but this, song's, this song rules. 
She Sells Sanctuary by the Cult on Sound Opinions. Sells Sanctuary by the Cult. Uh, you know, I would say it's a guilty pleasure, but it's not. I'm not guilty about it at all. I, li- I, I like that song. I, I don't, but uh, <laughs> I appreciate your defense of it. Um, Greg, I have two songs, uh, first two here on my list, that I've always thought were about uh, a, a teenager uh, right on the cusp of becoming an adult. But as I research them both, uh, neither is about that. And it kind of makes me like them less, and they're both by artists I don't much care for. Now, look. Stevie Nicks is beloved by many, including our producer Alex, our old producer Robin Lynn, you know, worshipped mm-hmm. at the White Witch altar of Stevie Nicks, right? Um, you know, to me, Fleetwood Mac post-Peter Green was uh, emblematic of everything wretched excess about 70s mainstream rock. I never liked them for that reason. Uh, Stevie's solo albums were often a little too wispy for me, you know, and the whole white witch persona. Okay. But Edge of 17 is a freaking great song. Again, I always thought it was about, uh, you know, a a teenage girl coming into her own, realizing uh, as she approaches adulthood, these new powers. Instead, it seems to be about... uh, uh, well, apparently, uh, Nick's wrote it uh, the week John Lennon was assassinated, and she was in a relationship at that time with the producer, Jimmy Iovine, someone I do hate in the music industry just for the evils he's foisted upon us with his various uh, record company head endeavors. Um, you know, and, and I don't know what it has to do <laughs> with John Lennon. Uh, and also, actually, I don't know what the lyrics have to do with anything. You know, now, now Greg, I'm going to do the dramatic poetry reading. Just like the white-winged dove, sing a song, sounds like she's singing, ooh, baby, ooh, baby, ooh. I have no mm. idea what that, but what does that mean? It's often misheard by people as uh, just like the one-winged winged dove, and I think that's actually a funnier line. <laughs> but I don't know, there's something about that 16th note chugga-chugga-chugga rhythm on the guitar. It's Wadi Wachtel, one of the great uh, L.A. session musicians, and and the way it, it pairs with the drums. It's all about that forward propulsion for me, and it's uh, my favorite Stevie Nicks moment, uh, the only Stevie Nicks moment I'll endorse, Edge of Seventeen by Solo Stevie from uh, her debut as a solo artist, Belladonna, in 1981. Sing 
It sounds like she's singing, Greg. <laughs> Stevie <laughs> Nicks, Edge of Seventeen. Uh, interesting choice. I'd have gone with Stop Dragging My Heart Around with Stevie uh, as a, as kind of the one track that I would pick. But uh, Yeah, but I'd, I'd give that yeah. to Tom Petty. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, my next choice is uh, by an artist I don't... Uh, Again, one of those artists I don't particularly dislike greatly. I just just was uh, very blah on him. But again, there was one song that really connected, uh, you know, when you had a dance party or you were at a club or whatever the case may be, where you just wanted to get up and move around. It was really catchy, really dumb, but uh, it really worked well on the dance floor. And I'm talking about Mellow Man Ace's Menta Rosa from 1989. His older brother was Sendog of Cypress Hill, went on to mm. much greater fame. Mellow Man Ace only actually put out a couple of albums and then pretty much disappeared from the music scene, leaving behind this one hit song. Uh, it was on his debut album, which uh, actually had some high-powered uh, producers on it. The Dust Brothers uh, worked on this song. And uh, it ha- also has a neat hook, courtesy of Santana's uh, evil ways, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, okay, you know, again, not particularly, um, you know, profound, not particularly inventive, but really catchy as one of those songs when it comes on, you just want to move around and then you start becoming, uh, you start thinking you're bilingual and start, uh, phonetically pronouncing some of the Spanish words that are in the song. And <laughs> next thing you know, you're, you're a Mellow Man Ace fan for about three minutes. I'm trying to imagine you doing the phonetic thing at a dance party. You know... Give me enough red wine and anything's possible, you know what I mean? Mellow Man Ace with Mentirosa on Sound Opinions. Check this out, baby. Tenemos tremendo lío. Last night you didn't go a la casa de tu tío. Resulta said, hey, you were at a party. Higher than the sky, you're borrachada de Bacardi. No, I wasn't. I bet you didn't know que conocía cantinero. What? He told me you were drinking and wasting my dinero. Talking about, come and enjoy what a woman gives a hombre. But first of all, see, I have to know your nombre. Now, I really want to ask you, guess he if it died. And please, por favor, tell me la verdad, because I really if you're gonna be a player or be my mujer Cause right now you're just a liar, a straight mentirosa Today you tell me something, y mañana otra cosa That is Mentirosa from Mellow Man Ace from 1989 a song I love, despite the fact that Mellow Man Ace pretty much recorded nothing else that I'm interested in in his entire career. <laughs> well, Greg, uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen is our most epic fight in the 43-year history of Sound Opinions. Yes, You indeed. cheer him on. I have uh, less than zero use from him. And I say that as somebody from New Jersey. Whether we're talking about the schmaltz of those early... Uh, E Street Band records that are all teen melodrama, or the bombastic jingoism of Born in the USA, the fake Woody Guthrie Dust Bowl stuff, and then he winds up on Broadway, right? You know, Broadway to me being a cheesy, over-the-top, super theatrical thing, which is the antithesis of rock and roll, that's the reason, shorthand, I've never had use for Bruce Springsteen. However, however, there is one song that I will actually play for pleasure, 
Candy's Room from that bombastic uh, East Street era, Darkness on the Edge of Town, 1978. Now, um, in researching this, you know, uh, and I've read Springsteen's uh, autobiography. I prefer to read him than listen to him. You know, in researching this, I had never realized that Candy's Room is not about what I'd long thought, uh, like Edge of Seventeen, about a teenage girl coming into adulthood and the powers uh, that that are uh, she's realizing. No, it's apparently about a sex worker, and it's a cheesy story in 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 Springsteen terms. You know, the kind of Raymond Chandler, you know, film noir. Uh, you know, the the sex worker with a heart of gold. In Candy's room, there are pictures of her, her heroes on the wall. That's what made me think it was about teenage girls and posters, right? I think it might be, though. I mean, that's no, one no, no, possible but to interpretation. To, to Has get he ever to, said that it was about a sex worker? He uh, winks and nods and says, "Does this is a direct quote from Springsteen, does it really matter? I'll never tell. Mm-hmm. This is what he has said. You know, to get to Candy's room, you got to walk the darkness of Candy's hall. Strangers from the city call her number and bring her toys. I don't know. There's a sadness hidden in that pretty face, a sadness all her own. I don't know. Uh, if I don't listen to the lyrics, I still mm. love it as much as I always have because of that 30-second note, propulsive rhythm on the hi-hat. You know, you know, it's very, it's actually kind of very disco, you know, mm-hmm. and 78's the year of disco. I mean, like, I'd rather hear... Donna Summer cover this, but it's Springsteen, and it's the one song I, I that doesn't make me sick. Candy's Room on Sound Opinions. In Candy's Room, there are pictures of heroes on the wall. To get to Candy's Room, had a walk, darkness at Candy's Hall. Strangers from the city call my baby's number, and they bring her toys. When I come knocking, she smiles pretty. She knows I want to be Candy's boy. There's a sadness hidden in that pretty face A sadness all her own From which no man can keep candy safe We kissed and my heart was just in my brain And the blood rushes in my brain The fire rushes through the sky And we go driving, driving deep into the night I go driving deep That is Candy's Room from uh, Bruce Springsteen, Jim DeRogatis' pick as the one song he can stand by Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, one. Yeah. I've got about 75 others that yeah. I <laughs> add to the list of songs that I, I love by Springsteen. And I will say on that song in particular, I always heard it as a, uh, a, a young woman who, like many of the characters in Springsteen's songs on his early albums, is still living at home with her parents. Yeah, but see, I got sucked down that black hole of internet conversation boards by Springsteen superfans, and they were all saying, no, it's a sex worker. Yeah, I mean, it could be. But I'm just saying my interpretation of that song was that it was never a sex worker so much as a person who who was lost, like many of the other characters in Springsteen's uh, early albums. Either way, it would be better, you know, without his vocal. <laughs> hey, we could we could have this debate all show long, but uh, we got to take a break here in a second. Uh, but what song is it that you, our listeners, love by a band you don't love? 
Um, call and leave a message on our hotline with your answer and why. 888-859-1800 or find us on Facebook or Twitter. After a break, Jim and I share more great songs by not-so-great bands. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. You say it's been too long. Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, the brewers of Next Coast IPA, 312 Urban Wheat Ale, and Bourbon County Stout. Pairing beer and music since 1988, they believe it's always best to listen critically and enjoy responsibly. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Somebody once told me the world is gonna roll me. I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb with her finger and her thumb in the shape of an L on her forehead. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner, who I do not hate, is Greg Cott. And we are talking songs we really dig by artists that we don't. Greg, you got another pick. Yeah, Jim, I'm down with the uh, the dude from The Big Lebowski. You know, he's not an Eagles fan. Neither am I. Neither are you. No. Uh, some of our listeners have asked, why do you guys dislike the Eagles so much? Uh, and I think I can distill it by uh, talking about this Don Henley song, obviously a member of the Eagles, in the midst of his solo career after the Eagles broke up for he the would first say, time. He would say the member. Yes. Um, Boys of Summer is the song that I want to play as the one Don Henley song I can stand. And even this one uh, has a line in it that still sticks in my craw. He, uh, he sees this guy driving around with a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac, and it's a condescending comment about a generation selling out, which is uh, really something coming from a guy who broke uh, the $100 ticket barrier for a concert ticket yeah. a few years later when the Eagles reunited. So there, there's that sort of smug attitude creeping into a song that I think is otherwise really good. And part of the reason for that may have been that Henley collaborated on this song with uh, Mike Campbell of Tom Petty's Heartbreakers. Uh, the guitar player. He originally uh, wrote the music and uh, presented it to Petty. Uh, Petty turned it down. Jimmy Iovine, who has come up before in this show, then suggested, hey, why don't, you, why don't you see if Henley wants this song for his solo record? And of course, he went for it, wrote the lyrics uh, in combo with Campbell's music, and just a, an incredibly atmospheric uh, song about aging and about the fading of not only uh, your youth, but summer, there's just a vibe to this song that I think really works. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that Mike Campbell came up with that beautiful atmospheric melody underneath you know, what Henley was so, singing so about. So once again, the things that are good about it might be uh, credited to Tom <laughs> Petty and his pals. In any case, when it comes on the radio, it is one of the few things that Don Henley has uh, composed in his life uh, <laughs> that I would crank the radio up in the turn it up uh, direction as opposed to the turn it down or turn it off direction. Don Henley with uh, Boys of Summer on Sound Opinions.
Boys of Summer from Don Henley, 1984. Still sounds pretty good, even if a lot of other musical projects Don Henley worked on don't to my ears. Isn't it something about baseball in there, too, right? Yeah, Boys of Summer or something yeah, like that. Yeah. That's a that's a baseball trope now, really. I mean, that's that's kind of the whole notion of this whole fading of uh, memories of your past, right? Yeah. Well, you know, the other great rock and roll trope, uh, driven into the ground by repetition and by many better than the Canadian artist Tom Cochran, is, uh, is driving, right? I mean, we've done shows about driving songs. We've actually kind of done this show, songs, uh, uh, you know, we love by bands we hate. We did a turkey shoot pardon episode once, one Thanksgiving. Life is a Highway is one of those songs. Talk about coming on the radio. I, I love this song. This is a really stupid song. Tom Cochran had been in a band in Canada, his native Canada, called Red Rider. He becomes a solo artist, 1991, Mad Mad World. is You know, this is just one of those songs that, like, uh, one-hit wonder, really. He made no other serious impact ever in America. And even this, um, you know, this song, Life is a Highway, I Want to Ride It All Night Long. <laughs> I kind of always, when I am singing along, and yes, I will put on the Wayfarers and drive. I don't have a convertible, but if I did, we're driving down Lakeshore Drive with the top down, you know, singing along to this stupid song. But I, I really want the second line to be, life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. I want it to be, life is a highway and death is the off-ramp. <laughs> Wouldn't that be way more profound, right? Right. That, that would have made it not only just a, a, a not a guilty pleasure, like it would have made it downright genius. Oh, cheese ball, man! Come on, you know. <laughs> well, but, look, there's a recurring element of cheese in every single thing yeah. we're playing oh, in this yes, song, uh, and we're admitting a fun. I mean, sometimes, man. A little Velveeta is like the best thing in the world, right? Not all you wouldn't want to eat it all the time. Anyway, I don't know. I, I I like this song. I don't care if he ever did anything else. Uh, everything I've heard has not made me care. But Life Is a Highway by Tom Cochran.
Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran. And no, kids, it wasn't Rascal Flatts doing it for the Cars soundtrack that uh, was the origin of that. Nope, no, nope. You got another pick, Greg? I do, Jim, but I, I did want to mention about Tom Cochran. There is another song by Tom Cochran that I can actually stand. Really? Um, yeah, he was in a band called Red Rider, and they right. had a good song called Lunatic Fringe. Oh, that yeah. That is actually better than uh, Life is a Highway. But That is you know, a good song. Yeah. Right, so one song... Uh, from each in, from in each project, forty yeah. year career. Yeah, <laughs> One song from each project, forty. Yeah, years. and speaking of long careers that should have ended after one song, um, the Killers um, oh, yeah. was somebody told me that's from their debut album that uh, came out in two thousand four called Hot Fuss, and another song about going clubbing and the interactions therein between uh, sweaty dancers in the semi darkness. You know, yeah, <laughs> everybody can relate at some point, right? And the, that hook in that song, it you know, once you once it gets in your head, it's pretty hard to get it out. Somebody told me you had a boyfriend who looked like a girlfriend I had in February of last year. Uh, you know, far be it from me to praise Brandon Flowers as a profound lyricist, but I think those lyrics are really catchy and really cool in a tongue-in-cheek sort of way. And with the synthesizers driving that beat, it really has a very early... 80s new wavish sound maybe that's why i like it so much it you know memories of uh, those bands from that era when you know um uh, new wave was sort of becoming going from guitars to to keyboards as the driving force uh the killers really tap into that vibe on this song it is their one genius moment everything after that you know we've been using the word cheese a lot i think uh the cheese really uh, overflowed uh, once they decided that they were going to be an arena rock band and went for these big anthemic songs that uh, don't work for me, but this one does. Killers with Somebody Told Me on Sound Opinions. Breaking my back just to know your name. 17 tracks and I've had it with this game. I'm breaking my back just to know your name. But heaven ain't close in a place like I said I haven't ain't close in a place like this. Bring 
Somebody told me from the Killers a uh, a great song from a band that I don't think is so great. No, Jim, you've got and, and one you're, more. You're, you know, by playing that, you have just put me in the middle of a uh, 110 degree dusty uh, <laughs> field. You know, in festivals, which yeah, I yeah. hate. You know, I mean, that, that's what that was made for. Uh, yes, I have one more now. Uh, the argument can be made that N.W.A. is one of the most important bands in the history of hip hop. And I would say that had they stopped with Straight Outta Compton, the debut album in 1988, you know, I would defend them to my dying breath, Uh, especially the single, F the Police, which I credit mainly to Ice Cube, but Ice Cube and Eazy-E had been hassled unjustly by, uh, you know, the Southern California cops in Los Angeles and Compton and erupted in anger. And, you know, anybody who listened to this single in 88, the riots that tore Los Angeles apart in the wake of the Rodney King beating verdict would not have come as a surprise. I mean, Chuck D of Public Enemy on the other coast had famously said hip-hop is the CNN of the streets. And this was an expression of the pure anger uh, that the African-American communities in Southern California had to police harassment being a regular thing. You know, the reason I hate the rest of N.W.A. is the follow-up album, by which point Ice Cube had left. Mm-hmm. You know, the second N.W.A. album, which outsold Straight Outta Compton, it stands as one of the most misogynistic and hateful records uh, in the entire history of popular music. And that's saying something. I mean, to this day, whenever I've listened to it, uh, mainly to talk with with students and such about the hatred on that record, it's, uh, it's sickening. What would N.W.A. have been if it stayed with the political edge of F the Well, police. if Ice Cube had stayed, right? If Ice Cube had stayed, right? Ice Cube had some mistakes in his, you know, later career, but there's also some greatness. Uh, you know, uh, America KKK's most wanted, right? You know, anyway, F the Police stands as an incendiary anthem of the late 80s that uh, is really as timely today, Black Lives Matter, as it was then. N.W.A. on Sound Opinions. The Police from N.W.A. from their uh, debut album, still a classic. Uh, the, the subsequent records, not so much, as Jim uh, says, yeah. and I, I would I concur would, with that. I write off most of Dr. Dre's later career, too. Yeah. I, I just am not a fan of him as a producer. We want the listeners to chime in as well. If you've got a song you love by a band you hate, 
give us a call at 888-859-1800 or connect with us on Facebook or Twitter. Coming up, we're going to review the latest album from Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Plus, we say goodbye to drummer Ginger Baker and the Muffs singer Kim Shattuck. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. Looking out a dirty old window. Ghosting dancers in my head. Slowly twirling, twirling all around. A glowing circle. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is a little bit of Ghostine, the title track from the 17th album by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Greg, despite 17 albums in that guise, Nick Cave is still going to be a mystery to a lot of our listeners. But in the underground, since the late 70s, he has been a giant. Nick Cave from Australia, starts out in the late 70s with a band called The Birthday Party. Very Iggy and the Stooges. They had called it quits by 1983, given up the kind of goth Stooges thing, and Cave went out on his own, forming this sort of post-punk supergroup called The Bad Seeds. I'd really call it an orchestra, Craig. Mm. You know, at various times, there could be more than a dozen musicians on stage. Over the course of 17 albums with Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, he has done many things, tried on many hats. Nick Cave has been super prolific, Greg, as I said. Uh, He has been a little slower uh, to release new music in the last couple of years because he had a horrible tragedy in 2015 when his 15-year-old son died. He's been coming back from that ever since. He's been addressing it in his art. And now we have this new album, Ghostine, by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Let's play a track. We'll come back and give our opinions on Sound Opinions. This is Spinning Song by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Once there was a song, a song yearned to be sung. It was a spinning song about the king of rock and roll. The king was first a young prince, the prince was the best. With his black jelly hair, he crashed onto a stage in Vegas. The king had a queen, the queen's hair was a stairway. She tended the castle garden, and in the garden planted a tree. The garden tree was a stairway, it was sixteen branches high. On the top branch was a nest, sing the high cloudy nest. That is spinning song from the new Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds album, Ghost Teen. Cave has given us three albums in a row now with similar textures to them, increasingly atmospheric, increasingly quiet. The premise of the album is as old as humanity itself. Someone you love has died suddenly, inexplicably. Love is lost. It seems to be gone from your life forever. 
And then what do you do in the aftermath of that? A lot of this is framed by the death of his 15-year-old son, Arthur. And as a result, there's a profound sense of loss in this record. You don't even have to know that someone died in, in Nick Cave's life to know that this is a sad uh, contemplative record. The drums in it are incredibly muted. Mm -hmm. It's very keyboard heavy. It's very lyrically heavy. Shuttered windows, cars humming on the street below. A fountain throbbed in the lobby of the Grand Hotel. And the first few times I listened to it, I just said, this is a complete dud. But I, I tell you, I've, come, I've done a 180 on this record the last few days. I really? think it's a beautiful, beautiful record. Who thought of Nick Cave as the voice of compassion, the voice of consolation? You know, it's, a, it's something that he's, he's grown into as an artist in a way that uh, is, is extremely profound and makes some of his other more contemplative songs look like uh, sketches compared to what's going on here. Uh, I think it's a really powerful unsettling record and at the end of the day he universalizes these emotions it's not just about a dad and his kid it's about the whole the idea that you know part of human life is to go through suffering and go through loss and then uh, we define ourselves as human beings by how we deal with that loss and i think this record is really about that i'm incredibly moved by several of the songs in here uh, in particular sun forest and ghost teen speaks in which he says, I am beside you, look for me. I am beside you, look for me. And he's talking about his son speaking to him, but in a way it's Nick Cave speaking to his audience, and in return having that sort of exchange with them, because if you've seen his shows in the last few years, there's very much of this, this exchange going on of a mutual consolation when these shows are occurring. I, I think this is a great Nick Cave record. Oh, I, I couldn't uh, disagree more, Greg. Uh, you know, I gave this many, many, many listens because of the long history of Cave, and he is not an easy artist. You really have to pay attention, especially this quiet trilogy, Push the Sky Away, Skeleton Tree, and now Ghost Teen. Uh, you know, I don't think he does Leonard Cohen particularly well. Uh, you know, much less Scott Walker, you know, uh, in terms of the somber, you know, and I don't I don't hear the profundity. And we're all so sick and tired of seeing things as they are. The horses are just horses and their manes aren't full of fire and the fields are just fields and there ain't no Lord. And we're all so sick and tired of seeing things as they are. Horses are just horses and their manes aren't full of fire. And the fields are just fields and there ain't no Lord. Okay, Nick. All right. <laughs> we have heard this before and better. Um, you know, he's always been super theatrical. In some ways, I guess you could defend uh, the quiet albums, as I'll call them, these last three, as him dropping some of the pretenses. Uh, but I also don't think Warren Ellis is half the collaborator uh, of many that he's had in the past. You know, a fine violinist, but it is truly musically a two-person effort. Ellis is primarily on analog synthesizers, which I love, but, you know, it's just enervating when you get two albums and, I don't know, 60 or 70 minutes. It just seemed endless, and it all kept merging, and I had it. I literally had it on nonstop rotate 
for, for two days. And I kept waiting and waiting and waiting. And it, it doesn't do it for me. This is a great artist who I think has been in the most fallow and sad period of his career. Wow. That is a track called Let's Start, featuring two master musicians, the uh, Nigerian multi-instrumentalist Fela Kuti and the drummer Ginger Baker, a man of many bands, many projects, including Cream and Blind Faith, uh, who died recently at the age of 80. Uh, Rock drummer extraordinary. Many people consider him the finest drummer of his generation. Uh, Took an orchestral approach to drumming, command of melody and rhythm, nuance and power, uh, you name it, this guy could play with just about anyone. You know, the collaboration with Kuti was in, uh, emblematic of his career in which he was constantly searching for new ways to approach the instrument, new inspiration. He came from a jazz background. His big influences were people like Art Blakey, Elvin Jones, Max Roach. He went on to become a main cog in the great power trio. Maybe the maybe the sort of uh, the genesis of the idea of a power trio or a super group in, uh, in rock was Cream, with Ginger Baker on drums, Jack Bruce on bass and vocals, and Eric Clapton on guitar. Uh, the group imploded. Uh, talk about uh, a collision of egos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and one aspect of the, uh, Ginger Baker's career that we need to note was his constant uh, state of conflict that he seemed to be in. He was not a pleasant man he was by an ordinary many, fellow. many accounts. Uh, you know, you know a... but I, I interviewed him, Greg, in 1990 when mm-hmm. he put out a fine a polyrhythmic African-influenced album called Middle Passage with yeah. Bill Laswell, and he had such a reputation for being so nasty. Uh, I didn't make two mistakes that every other journalist did. I never called him a rock drummer. We right. talked at length about this fondness for yeah. African rhythms and, and Art Blakey. And jazz, and yeah. And jazz, you know, and uh, I didn't take it too seriously. I'm like, dude, I hear you are in Tuscany running an olive farm. Yeah. Right, and we yeah. talked at great length about that. I found him to be a very pleasant fellow because yeah. I didn't, you know, I didn't ask him about cream. You know, it, it turns out that the uh, neighbors in Italy in Tuscany thought that he was growing dope, and they set the <laughs> mafia on him, and they killed one of his dogs, and he got run out of Italy. Yeah. I mean, he had reasons, perhaps, to be a little grouchy. Well, there's so much from this guy's career that we could uh, touch on. I mean, collaborations with Tony Williams, Fela, mm. as we mentioned, Elvin Jones, John McLaughlin, Jimi Hendrix, apparently some unreleased stuff with Hendrix, uh, Carla Blay, the great jazz yeah. composer, Lou Reed, Frank Zappa, Mose Allison, Kip Hanrahan, Vernon Reed, the list goes on and on. It, despite the ornery reputation, everybody wanted to play with this guy because he was so versatile and so so uh, uh, amazingly inventive. And I think you can hear that invention. I'm going to play a, a little bit of uh, Cream's White Room from 1968. That's a master class in, in uh, Ginger Baker. That intro is uh, iconic. He basically came up with that sort of 5-4 time at the beginning there, a little bit of a bolero feel to it, and building that sense of majesty and mystery that's in that song. And then the sort of the stop time drumming there. Uh, there's the, those passages, those stop time passages where it builds up the drama and then the band comes back in full force. You know, that that is Baker, the drummer, uh, really arranging the song as mm. much as playing it. Uh, so a master musician is gone, but he left us with a, a ton of great music, including this song, uh, White Room from Cream on Sound Opinions. Black curtains, 
Great Ginger Baker, don't call him a rock drummer. He was much more dead at the age of 80. Greg, two deaths uh, that hit me hard. I, I'm their age. Alternative era heroes and heroines. First, I want to give a shout out to Ed Ackerson. Yeah. Uh, he had been in a band, third generation mod band called The Dig, and then a very wonderful psychedelic pop band, 27 Various, and then a shoegazer band called Polara. I thought I saw a source of life. He was one of those mainstays of the Minneapolis scene, which is one of the most vibrant in America. Our good friends at The Current paid loving homage to Ed Ackerson. He also had a studio called Flowers, where he'd recorded recently the Jayhawks, Soul Asylum, the replacements when they came back together. He's one of those people, not a household name, but made the music in that city great. And so did Kim Shattuck in Los Angeles. Kim was a young woman who first uh, played in a very cool garage rock band that was all women called the Pandoras. And, uh, you know, they should have been the Bengals. They should have been as big as the Bengals, but they were too rough around the edges. And, you know, when, when Kim left the Pandoras, she started a group called the Muffs. And uh, for my money, one of the best bands uh, of the alternative moment. You know, as the 80s indie scene became the big modern rock scene, everybody's getting signed post-Nirvana in Seattle, the Muffs got uh, swept up by Warner Brothers Records. Uh, and they made two really fine records. Uh, you know, one of them produced by Rob Cavallo, who went on to sell millions and millions and millions of records when he held the Green Day record. You know, certainly the Muffs were every bit as great as Green Day, short, sharp, punk pop songs with great melodies, an incredible stage show. You know, Kim had an amazing voice and also this love-hate. Uh, they'd been a couple at one point, and then they were just lifelong collaborators after. This love-hate relationship with guitarist Ronnie Barrett. I rarely hmm. saw a Muff show uh, that didn't end with the two of them uh, wrestling 
on stage, guitars flying everywhere, drums getting knocked over. It was always a great adventure to see the Muffs. Uh, very quietly, without uh, telling the world, she had been battling ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, for the last two years and had, you know, her last recording was a, a benefit single to fight that disease. She was a force of nature. Uh, that, that, that's the cliched phrase that if you look up six reviews of any uh, Muffs record or Muffs live concert review, it's like always. Everybody says force of nature. She was undeniable. Mm-hmm. It's hard to imagine her gone now at the age of 56. I'm going to play a song from that self-titled Muffs Warner Brothers debut, 1993. It's called Big Mouth. Kim had one. She was proud to have one. <laughs> and I'm sorry that we won't hear more from it. The Muffs, Big Mouth, Kim Shattuck dead at the age of 56. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have a classic album dissection of the Rolling Stones' Exile on Main Street. Enough said. Uh, Enough said indeed. For more sound opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find such things. We also have a resuscitated message board on our Facebook group. As always, the show was produced by Brendan Banisak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras and Andrew Gill. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. My name is Eric. I'm calling from Woodland Hills, California. As far as the uh, family bands episode. I'm actually really glad that you didn't include the Beach Boys because I'm not a fan. But Sly and the Family Stone, whew, awesome show. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hi, this is Lonnie from Whitesville, Kentucky, and one of my favorite family acts were Russell and Ron of Spark. And then she said, please, please hold. At first she said your call was very important to us. And then she said, please, please hold. Funny, hilarious, theatrical, and really, really underrated songwriter. Hope you give him a shout. Thanks. Bye. Hi, my name is Bridget Hill. I'm from Gary, Indiana. Appreciate you playing the Jackson 5. However, I thought you left out a few other groups that I thought you should have mentioned. Like Gladys Knight and the Pips. How about the Five Stair Steps? 
And of course, there's a group from Rhode Island called Tavares. great group. They had some hit records as well in about the 70s. But anyway, thanks for letting me have my say. Have a good evening. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Paul from Minnesota. I would like to say the Innocence Mission is probably one of my favorite family bands. siblings or cousins or husband and wife but all the same innocence mission is right up there like give them a nod thanks hi this is jim from chicago calling on the new wilco record i actually think it's the perfect record the sirens and the birds you and I are too far apart and my eyes need a shade listen to if you literally would like to be bored to death I don't see how anybody can sit through that This is Mary Jane from Chicago I'm calling in response to the Fugazi episode I saw Fugazi in the summer of 1990 in the basement of the State Theater in Flint, Michigan. It was such a fantastic show. The next day, I was waitressing at a vegetarian restaurant in Flint called Merlin's Retreat, and the band came in. Um, I was so starstruck to see them in person and, and to be up close to them, and I was so excited to tell them that I was at the show, and I showed them the bruise that I had on my face from jumping around, and they were visibly not excited by that story and I was so crushed at the time it was years later that I realized that was something that they actively discouraged at their shows will you all find in your heart to not do the stupid push dance please I went to a lot of punk shows in my teens I didn't join in a lot of like the slam dancing mobs but there was something you know that spoke to me it was inclusive and I felt safer doing that at their shows than, you know, someone else's. Anyways, thank you for everything that you guys do. It's a wonderful show. I enjoy it every week. Thank you. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX.